This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. You're listening to... Yeah, say it louder. You're listening to... The Two-Headed... I can say Oh my god, it's episode 61 of THN and we are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, April 4th And as always, we are reading your tweets while we do it So don't forget to tweet us at TwoHeadedNerd on the Twitter, my name is Matt Baum And when I'm not getting ready to level up my dwarf paladin for a night of pills, booze, and Dungeons and Dragons I'm writing about and appraising comics for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online. And when I'm not coming up with terrible excuses to not roll twin halfling bros with my supposed bestie and co-host for our monthly D&D game, I'm to the manager... To prove your love for your bestie. <laughs> I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. You do not change characters right before you kill the dragon! Oh, please. This week, we'll hear reviews of Supreme 63... And Danger Club number one. After that, we'll review ten comics in a segment my niece calls that part where you talk fast and there's rock music and sometimes you cuss and it's funny. But you might know it better as the ludicrous speed round. And then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss the future of next week's comics. And finally, it's time once again for you nerds to plunder the riches of our nerdy skulls when we answer some of your questions in our monthly Ask a Nerd segment. Before we get to all that misinterpretation and misrepresentation, let's take a minute to remember the real reason we love Easter weekend. Deviled eggs, honey-glazed ham, and the masters on TV. And then, we'll talk about this week's big news. It's that special time of year once again. The days get sunnier, the air gets warmer, plants become lush and green, and the Eisner Award nominations get announced. Nominees for the comic book Oscars hit the net this week, and as we have done every year for the past one year... That's true. THN is here with our gut reactions and predictions. The one annual. Let's get one thing out of the way right now. The only reason we're mentioning this first category is to point out a glaring oversight on the Eisner Committee's part. Bunch of motherfuckers. Best comics-related journalism? The AV Club from The Onion, The Beat, The Comics Journal, The Comics Reporter, and Tomorrow's Publications... Where is THN on this list? I gotta say, I'm really glad the News of Rama's not on this list. Yeah, because they suck. They don't deserve They're the wizard of the internet now. <laughs> I used to love News Rama. <laughs> I used to as well, but it is bad now. It's just bad. Matt, I'm at a complete loss. How can it be that we are not on this list? Well, nobody likes us, Joe. And not one of our 200,000 listeners decided to nominate us. I know at least one person that should have nominated us. God, you're so down. angry you're clipping. I'm giving this one to The Beat. I think The Beat wins his hands down. Heidi McDonald does a fantastic job on that site. As far as everything from indie to creator news to sales news, she she's fantastic. Really nails it. I, I, I do like the Tomorrow's books. They put out Alter Ego and Back Issue and the Kirby Collector. I don't really consider those journalism, or at least they're not news reporting, which I think is the difference between them and these other sites. So, But yeah, The Beat is a great site. I like it a lot. The Best Coloring nominations were Laura Alred for iZombie, Madman, All Giant Size, and Super Ginchy Special, all from Image. Super Pardon Ginchy. me, iZombie's Vertigo DC. Bill Crabtree of The Sixth Gun from Oni. Ian Herring and Ramon K. Perez, Jim Henson's Tale of Sand, which we will be reading this month. Victor Kalvachev for Blue Estate. <laughs> and Chris Peter for Casanova Avarita and Casanova Gula. Both of which are words in a different language, I guess, and came from Marvel Icon. <laughs> Very good. Between uh, where is Dave Stewart? 
Yeah, that's a good question. This is probably the first year Dave Stewart's not on there in forever. Isers, come on. But Kalvachev and uh, Chris Peter from Casanova, both those guys are amazing. It's true. And doing incredible work. It's true. They're all so different. I, I find it hard to kind of pick a favorite colorist because each book has such a different tone. Um, like, it's hard to not give it to Laura Allred. I Zombie is such a beautiful looking book, but everybody on this list does great work. And it's different. Like, what, what Laura Allred does is very stark and kind of cartoony. And I don't know if that's easier or not. I'm not a colorist, so I can't speak to that. But it seems like, I feel like there's more of a look to the other two colorists I named. Like, they give a book I'll a give you that. The Casanova look. colorist is, oh, is definitely yeah. setting a much different tone for that. Uh, best graphic album new, you kids might call them graphic novels. Yeah, what the hell is a graphic album? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Bubbles and Gondola by Renaud Dillies. So, okay. Diaz. We, we should say, sorry, creators, but we can't read. Listen, <laughs> Freeway by Mark Kalsninko. Habibi by Craig Thompson. That one's pretty easy. Our take a look, it was in a book two months ago. Ivy by Sarah uh, Olekisk. What is going on with all of these names? Olekisk. I'm going with Olekisk. Jim Henson's Tale of Sand by Ramon Perez. And One Soul by Ray Fox. I think you got to give this one to Habibi. I don't. I just considering it's the only book on the list we've read. I haven't even read the other ones, but I'm sorry. I don't know how they could be better. Um, from everything I hear, though, Tale of Sand is a real contender, and, and we're getting to that one. Yep. Best cover artist: Mike Alward for I Zombie, Francesco Francavilla for Everything You've Seen on the Stands, Victor Kalvachev for Blue Estate, Marcos Martin for Daredevil and Amazing Spider-Man, Sean Phillips for Criminal: The Last of the Innocent. And Yugo Shimizu for the unwritten. I this, this is, is a tough. This is group tough. to pick from. Um, I'm giving it to Francesco Francavilla. I'm going with Kavlachev, man. That well, that guy's covers for Blue Estate have been so amazing. Abs and like and I love Francavilla, one of my favorite artists. But that dude's covers, as far as a book that stands out and just like nothing on the stands looks like that, man. It's he true. is nailing it. But no cover on the stands has made people that don't read comics step back and go, whoa, what is that? <laughs> More than Francesco Francavilla's variant cover to Archie Meets Kiss. Fair enough. <laughs> Best limited series this year. We have noted nominees Atomic Robo and The Ghost Station X by Brian Clevenger and Scott Wagner. Way to go, guys. Red 5. Criminal, The Last of the Innocent by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. That's going to be hard to beat. Flashpoint Batman, Night of Vengeance by Brian Azzarello and Edward Rizzo from Vertigo DC, also going to be very hard to beat. And New York Five by Brian Wood and Ryan Kelly from Vertigo DC. Who is Jake Ellis by Nathan Edmondson and... Oh man, Tanji, Tanji, no, remember? Zonjik. Yeah, we came up with. I got him to tell me yeah. how to say it, and I forgot. I think it was Tanji or Tanji, Tanji Zonjik. Zonjik. Of these, I'm saying who is Jake Ellis? I loved that book. I, it was so good. This is a tough one, though. Uh, I don't think Flashpoint will get it because they kind of pulled back at the last second and shoehorned in a tie-in to, really the, to the crossover. I'm shocked that they gave it a nod. I loved it, but I'm shocked that Eisner didn't go, whatever, it's part of a big crossover, we don't care. As much as I love Atomic Robo, I think I have to give it to Criminal on this one. This last storyline with basically the Archie analog going back to Riverdale and uh, his flashbacks to his past life are all like Archie style, but they're all... <laughs> and cussing and yeah. boozing it up. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm giving this one to Criminal, I think. Nice. Next up, best single issue or one shot, Daredevil 7 by Mark Wade, Paolo Rivera, and Joe Rivera. Ganges number four by Kevin 
Huizenga. Wow. Lock and Key, Guide to the Known Keys by Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. Prince List Number 3 by Jeremy Whitley and M. Goodwin. And The Unwritten 24, Stairway to Heaven by Mike Carey, Peter Gross, and Al Davison. Lock and Key, Guide to the Known Keys is like half handbook. <laughs> I can't believe this got nominated. Yeah, it's weird. But no, it's excellent. It's excellent. It just it is a testament to the quality, I think. But um, I'm giving this one to Daredevil. It's the issue where he's uh, snowbound with a broken down bus and the group full of blind kids. It was so good. It was so good. Yeah. And the kids. I have to abstain, though, because I haven't read the other ones. Best writer. Cullen Bunn, The Sixth Gun, Oni. Mike Carey, The Unwritten, Vertigo DC. Jeff Jensen, Green River Killer, A True Detective Story, Dark Horse Books. Jeff Lemire, Animal Man, Flashpoint, Frankenstein, and the Creatures of the Unknown, Frankenstein, Agent of S, period, H, period, A, period, you get it. From DC, Sweet Tooth from Vertigo DC. And then, The Indomitable Mark Wade from Irredeemable, Incorruptible, and Daredevil. And I think if you look at that list of three titles right there, I give this to Mark Wade. Mark Wade. Moving on. Best writer slash artist, Rick Geary. Uh, for the lives of Sacco and Vanzetti, from I want to read that. NBM. I really want to read that. I don't that. know what it is. Terry Moore for Rachel Rising, Sarah Oleksik for Ivy from Oni Press, Craig Thompson for Habibi, and Jim Woodring for Congress of the Animals from Fantagraphics and Harvest of Fear in the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. Number I love 17. Jim Woodring so very much. Uh, come on, Habibi, let's go. I have a Jim Woodring tattoo. I love him so much. Best <laughs> penciler, inker, or penciler, inker team. Mike Alred from iZombie, Vertigo DC, Madman, All New Giant Size, Super Ginchy Special, Image, Ramon K. Perez from Jim Henson's Tale of Sand, Chris Samney from Captain America and Bucky, Ultimate Spider-Man, number 155, and Marcos Martin, Daredevil, and Paolo Rivera and Joe Rivera, Daredevil. If uh, the same book has two different artists in I just competition for yeah. best penciler. That ought to tell you something. <laughs> I don't even know how you pick from this list. I refuse to pick from this list because they're uh, all so damn good. As much as I like Marcos Martin and I like him a whole lot, I think I'm giving this one to Pablo Rivera. That's fair. I think he's drawn more just because he's drawn more of Daredevil. I think what's more interesting here are the people that are not on this list. Honestly, there's a lot of people that could have been on that list that that aren't. Yeah. Best continuing series. Hey, sorry. Daredevil by Mark Wade, Marcos Martin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Naoki Urasawa's Twentieth Century Boys. Ooh, I really want to read, and there's a movie for these too. I guess that was really good. That one's still coming out from Viz Media. Rachel Rising by Terry Moore. Ultimate Comics Spider-Man by Brian Michael Bendis and Sarah Pacelli, and Usagi Ujimbo by Stan Sakai, which is published by Dark Horse. And I think it's nominated every year. Yeah. Every year. But I have to give it to Daredevil. There's just, I mean, there's no contest here. I gotta give it to Daredevil. The only book on that list I haven't read is 20th Century Boys, and they are all phenomenal reads. And But I still, yeah, I have to give it to Daredevil. That is all the news. We swear that nothing else happened this week. If you'd like to nothing. discuss these stories or anything we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page. They certainly didn't announce a new He-Man series by James Robinson and Philip Tan. I didn't hear anything about that. Where DJ and I will humbly accept all of your apologies for not nominating this show for the Excellence in Comics Journalism Award. But next year, we're going to take it f***ing personally. Before we get to our reviews, Joe Patrick, read me a tweet from one of our lovely listeners. Our first tweet comes from John Bunger, who asks, Premise, you win Mega Billions. 
Do you buy DC or Marvel? And how do you change things? Neither. I buy Valiant because I think they stand to make some money and no one's going to care what I do there. Coward. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to buy DC and rather than, you know, the temptation would be to like force everybody to tell stories that I want to read. But instead, what I'd like to do is kind of remove the restrictions. Like, not don't worry about sales. Just tell good stories. Get back to kind of a, a different time. Like, if you look at DC in the late 90s, they were putting out a lot of crazy books. Hitman yeah. and Hour Man and Starman. A lot of mans. But you could also sell anything that was in comic format back then. No, I'm talking about the late 90s, not like the oh, speculator so. 90s. Like, the big crash hadn't really hit. That was at well, then. well after the crash. Yeah, the but I late mean, 90s. There were still about... better sales than now. No. Sure they were. Dude. Books were selling well over 100,000 at that point still. I'm talking about like 98, 99, 2000. Yeah, I mean, they were down. It was way down, but not as down as low as it is now. This is a whole different conversation. This is not the question that was asked. And you're a socialist. Yes. That was a left-wing pinko socialist answer. <laughs> Just write happy comics. We don't no. need to make money. Let's all take our shoes off. If you're going to buy a comic book <laughs> company, if you have mega billions and you're going to buy a comic book company, no, no, no. it's because you want to make comics. Right. I want them to be able to make comics without worrying about catering to a particular audience. Just be creative, and DC is my favorite. Not so. me, man. At my company, we're going to print money, and you suckers are going to like it, whether you like it or not. Wow. Every week, Matt and I pick two very special comics off the shelf to read and review because we're not talented enough to make our own. But man, are we good at criticizing everyone else's. Matt, what did you review this week? This week, I read Supreme 63 from Image Comics, written by the one and only Alan Moore, with art by Eric Larson. Here's your solicit. The Legendary Supreme Returns, Alan Moore's final Supreme Tales, the ultimate jumping on point for new readers. We'll talk about that in a little bit. The triumphant return of Image Comics' most powerful hero as Supreme Romance's Diana Dane. He takes her on a tour of the Citadel Supreme and tells all of his innermost secrets, just as Supreme's most hated nemesis, Darius Dax, makes a most unfortunate discovery, the key to defeat his abhorred adversary. It's the most mind-blowing cliffhanger in the history of comics! Maybe. Eric Larson (laughs) is a monster. I, I... it took me a long time to really appreciate what that guy does, but he is an amazing penciler and there's nobody that looks like they put more fun and more joy into what they do than Eric Larson. And he's amazing here. He packs every page full of characters and explosions and robots. I mean, the guy is just fantastic. You can tell he loves his job. He loves comics. I'm a big Larson fan and this is Larson at its best. Now, if the extreme relaunch has succeeded It's been by reinventing titles we never thought we'd care about, like Profit or Glory, and others we forgot about altogether, like (laughs) Bloodstrike. Supreme 63, as I told you, was billed as, quote, the perfect jumping on point for fans new and old. After reading it, I can't remember what it was I liked about Alan Moore's previous Supreme series. This was just nuts, and I don't know who this book is for. Maybe I know too much about the writer and his tendency to lash out at DC every time someone sticks a microphone in front of him, but this comic came off as pure 100% snark. This is Alan Moore giving his version of Superman, wacky golden age Superman, but the first thing they launch into is a big criticism of the relaunch and this cleverly written sort of like continuity thing that takes place in a comic book 
written by Supreme's alter ego, who is a comic book artist and writer, wherein we see Omni-Man, who's sort of like Superman, and four other versions of Omni-Man all discussing, well, when did I exist? Did any of this really happen? Well, wait a minute. I thought it all went away. See, so st- you're the new guy? Let me stop you. I did not read that as snark. Bear in mind, this script was written 11 years ago. And I get that, that it was written 11 years ago, but this is just absolute snark. It's going past, like, poking fun at comics a little bit, straight into the realm of complete ridiculousness. This came off to me, like, the same people that criticize the way Mark Millar writes as being very snarky, this came off even more so. This came off as almost like... I hate comics, and I'm going to just make fun of them. Just completely make fun of them. But it wasn't even funny. There was so much innuendo and so much going on that it just got lost, and it turned into like what felt to me was just a big middle finger to DC Comics and the way they've handled Superman for so long. Oh, man, I, can't, I could not disagree more. Really? I, did you read the old Supreme? Yeah, I did. The old Alan Moore Supreme? Yes. I don't remember it being a biting look at superhero comics. I mean, it wasn't a biting look at superhero comics, but it was absolutely making fun of superhero comics. No, it was an homage to the Silver Age, which is not the same as making fun. This moves way past homage. you got to admit, this issue is straight up making fun. Fun no, I, I did. I did not. I did not get that impression. I just thought it was completely ridiculous. I put it down. But no, it was completely and ridiculous. It struck me as Alan Moore hates us. That's no, I, I, I'm not saying I liked it or that it wasn't over the top. I'm, but I'm saying I didn't get that same feeling. I, I to me, there was nothing but the same. Like slightly skewed spin on the Silver Age that that he added to. Uh, his previous run on Supreme and other books that he's done. I didn't see it as him, like, giving us the finger. See, I don't know. I'm not saying that it's not clever. This is a guy that absolutely knows his history and has read tons of comics and paid attention. And maybe it's me projecting my image of the artist on his art, which we shouldn't be doing. I get that. But that's all I took from it. After putting it down, I was just like, okay, first of all, I barely know what went, even happened in that book. <laughs> and second of all, it just seemed like him flipping off DC and yeah. pretending to be the smartest guy in the room. And not to mention the fact, I can't see anyone who's never picked up a Supreme comic picking up this comic book and reading it and going, yeah, I need more of that. They'd be like, what in the hell is this? I'll, I'll give you that. I, I mean, just... There's a dimension full of de facto Lex Luthers that are all different versions of him. That's... Dax Darius, you know. And Again, like, that is They're such planning a... to go find the supreme dimension and take that over. And, and, and But... That's such a pure, like, Silver Age idea. I don't know why you thought he was teasing. I us think it's for the it. way that he's handling it. It's just too uh, wacky. Let me let me back it up a second. At the scene at the comic book store where they're reading the story and they're like, uh, they're talking about the dimension of Supremes. Right. And it's where you go when when your reality gets erased. Right. If the reader had put that down and went, well, that's stupid. That would have been different. But he didn't. Instead, that's the actual story. Right. And, and it's very meta in it's a very, very Alan meta. Moore way, yes. but it just came off as snark to me. It just came off because it wasn't very funny and it wasn't very poignant. It was just like, you know what it was? It was way too clever. 
that's what it came off to me. And when we move into the realm of way too clever, I think about the last few things he wrote that I barely enjoyed. Like the last Leave Extraordinary Gentleman Black Dossier thing that he put out and stuff. And like Necronomicon, books that were like very intelligent but maybe just too much. Maybe just over my head. I don't know. But this didn't do anything for me other than strike me as him stroking his own ego and showing us how smart he is. Because well, I really okay. didn't enjoy it. Again, <laughs> I think you're picking a, a lot on Alan Moore when what happened was they dusted off a script that he wrote that never got published because Rob Liefeld's company went out of business. Well, no, and I've got that. But even back then, even 11 years ago, he was still pissed off at DC and talking all manner of smack about how he'd never worked but for But you wouldn't have said that about this book back then. Maybe not. Well, I don't know. I, I find that hard to believe because I don't if think I would have... If you read it, you must have been enjoying it. I don't think I would have enjoyed it back then. I didn't. I never loved his Supreme. I loved a lot of the other stuff he did. I never loved his Supreme. I think Supreme. you have deep psychological issues. <laughs> Please. I, I did view it just as a, an homage, just like the old Supreme, but it was a little too much. For the tone of the book and for the wacky ideas, there was a lot of weird, like... Maybe the old Supreme was like this, but... There was a weird, like, suddenly very adult turn in that the villain is having an adulterous relationship and then he murders a guy. No, the old book which was... Which seemed out of place to me, but I have not much, read the old Supreme. It was very much there. I mean, it wasn't a kitty book by any means. Okay. But no, I mean, like, I like, and that wasn't even what, like, bothered me about it. It was the whole package I, is what bothered I, me. I viewed it as not him poking fun at DC, but poking fun at, not poking fun even, just like shining a light on the Silver Age and kind of celebrating its goofiness. Like, if you look at the conversation that um, Supreme's girlfriend has with his sister... Right, right. She's like, well, I was married once, but he was a galaxy and he kept me chained up or whatever yeah. the heck it was. It's like, yeah, that stuff happened there were, all the time. Yes, and there were clever things here, but just the way that it was it's all... It's funny because it's true. ...smashed together, it really just didn't do it for me. I'm giving it a leave it. I did not care. I'm giving it a skim it. I, I'm not going to continue reading it. I don't have a history with the character. If you were a Supreme fan back in the day, by all means, give it a look. But I believe they even say in the back matter that this was his last script. He only right. wrote one unpublished issue. Right. In the, and who knows where it'll go from here. So a skim it from me. Joe Patrick, tell us about Danger Club. Danger Club number one from Image Comics, written by Landry Q. Walker, with art by Eric Jones. Colors by Michael Rusty Drake. In quotes. I yes. love it. And we don't normally mention editors, but I have to... This book was edited by Branwyn Bigglestone. I think he is a halfling. I think he was my last D&D character. I think he's a halfling. <laughs> you know what? When we do it, we're the Bigglestone brothers. Oh, we're doing I'm, it. I'm down. The halfling twins, the Bigglestone brothers. <laughs> Here's your solicit. Faced with the deadliest peril the universe had ever known, the world's greatest heroes left the earth to battle a nightmarish evil, and they never came back. Now only their teenage sidekicks remain... Will the Danger Club unite against this unknown cosmic menace, or will their struggle for dominance destroy them? Now, I don't normally pay much attention to the title page in comics. You know, I've been reading comics a very long time. I usually know what I'm getting into when I read a book. I, I skip past the title page. Um, sometimes I look at it to get creator credits for my reviews, but... I looked at the title page for Danger Club number one. I was immediately drawn in by the blurb that sets up the plot. It's like a handful of sentences, and it's just basically the line about the superheroes that leave to fight in a crisis and never return. And the kids are left to pick up the pieces, and that's all you get. And then they throw you right into the story, and that was all I needed. I was completely compelled uh, by just those few lines. 
Earth superheroes, as it says in the solicit, have left the planet. The sidekicks have been left behind. And as with any situation where you leave teenagers to their own devices, everything has gone straight to hell. And I didn't have a chance to read this. Does this tie in with any other corner of the Image universe? No, it's its own thing. Okay. Landry Walker has made a name for himself writing a bunch of books at uh, DC's All Ages line like Supergirl, Cosmic Adventures in the Eighth Grade, and Batman, The Brave and the Bold. Our guys at the pull list have been talking about him for a while now. I have not read those books, but I hear really good things about him. So I was intrigued to see his name attached to something that looked a little less kid-friendly. And what he's created here is sort of like large-scale version of the Lord of the Flies with superpowers. And I really liked it. Uh, You've got Apollo, who is a young god, son of Zeus, and a former hero, who has seized control of an army of his fellow sidekicks, and is using the world as his personal playground now that all the adults are gone. The Danger Club... Just like what I would do. Right. The Danger Club is a Teen Titans-esque group of rebels fighting back against Apollo's rule. And so you've got a lot of superhero archetype analogs here. You've got uh, the leader of the Danger Club, who is named Kid Vigilante, is very obviously a Robin and Nightwing homage. But you've also got several characters that aren't the usual sidekick suspects. Uh, The other members of the Danger Club are the Fearless and the Magician. The Fearless is like a young Nick Fury. And he's got an eye patch and he smokes cigars. Nice. And uh, the Magician is like a Sorcerer's Apprentice kind of guy. Uh, my favorite, though, was Yush- Yoshimi, who is a teenage girl that pilots a mech suit called Robot 9. And she's piloting this oversized robot suit. It's not like a giant mech, but it's like Hulk-sized. And she also just happens to be six inches tall. So inside that robot, <laughs> she's like the Atom. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, what I really did appreciate about the story is that even though it's a mature take on teenage superheroes, it isn't a quote-unquote mature reader's book. Uh, nor was it watered down like a kitty book. Not that either one of those is necessarily bad, uh, but Walker does a great job telling a mature, youth-centered story without crossing either line. Eric Jones's art is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to look at. It's very cartoony, uh, but it's not too cartoony. And he had to do a lot of character designs in this issue, and he did not skimp on any of them. There's like a a warriors style scene with like an army of sidekicks fighting, and they're all different. They I'm super excited to read this one now. I'm sorry I didn't have uh, she has to do yeah, it. Yeah, and it is plenty gritty when it needs to be. Uh, Rusty Drake on the colors, and his work is vibrant. And it really complemented the art. He's got a lot of computer effects in there. Flashing power rings and and, uh, glowing brass knuckles and stuff like that. Uh, But it's never a distraction. It just adds to the look of the book. It it meshed very, very well. Now, I have to admit, this series was not even on my radar before it hit the shelf. I I had heard of it. I was kind of peripherally aware of it. But I wasn't looking forward to it. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, but I am so glad to say that, like Luther Strode and a lot of other image books over the past year, this was a huge, pleasant surprise. I am on board. I am can't wait to read the rest of the story. I'm giving it a huge buy it. What's funny is I read some not very good reviews of this story, and not because they said that the comic was bad or was poorly drawn, but like people are criticizing it because they're saying, there's too many homage books, and we're tired of all these analogs. And I think that doesn't even count. I don't think that you're right. allowed to criticize a book like that because, I'm sorry, everything is an homage or an analog to something. If you're going to do a super, <laughs> yeah. if you're gonna do a superhero book and you can come up with a fun, interesting twist, uh, obviously you're going to have some archetypes in there. Superman is the prototype for all superheroes. Right. So every book you do is a, is a rip-off of something. Yeah, I don't think it's a fair choice. Yeah.
So that is a leave it and a skim it for Supreme 63 and a loan buy it. And again, I'm sorry. I was very busy this week. For Danger Club number one from Image. I'm going to remember that next time I run out of time. As always, we want to know what you nerds thought of these comics, so let us know how incoherent and, at best, incorrect our reviews were over at our Facebook page. Joe Patrick, before we step into our ceremonial pentagram with a bunny head inside of it, why don't you read us another tweet? (laughs) Gross. Our next tweet comes from Zach Hollowell, who writes, Who would win in a battle royale between the members of the Avengers? Thor. I'm leaning towards Thor as well. Thor. Now, how about the X-Men? Juggernaut Colossus. Um, I'm going with Juggernaut Colossus right now. Okay. Who's more powerful? You can tell me Wolverine. What? All right. Now, between those two, who would win in a fight? Thor. That's my knee-jerk reaction. Thor. Thor. He's Marvel Superman. Thor wins it all in the Battle Royale. Marvel Superman. He's Marvel Superman plus Magic Hammer. Plus Magic Hammer. Yes. Thor. There you have it. And if you kill him, guess what? He'll come back fight you again that's that's right it's happened so many times already dude the god he just died like three times the last two years now join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we'll be wearing nothing but ceremonial cloaks made from the pelt of Captain Carrot and offering the blood of Wonder Wabbit to Panicula in exchange for the secrets of next week's comics. Joe, what has the blood of an innocent rabbit superhero brought you for next week? My pick of the week is Avenging Spider-Man number six by Zeb Wells and Marco Cheese Cheeto. Cheese Cheeto. <laughs> this is part one. It's an inside joke. It's Chichetto. Yes. <laughs> We try to avoid those. Do we? <laughs> yeah. Every episode is a great jumping on point. <laughs> THN. <laughs> this is part one of the Omega Effect crossover between Spider-Man, Daredevil, and Mar- uh, Greg Rucka's The Punisher. Better known as the Please, Please, Please by Greg Rucka's The Punisher storyline. <laughs> all three of these books are firing on all cylinders right now. Yes. And I am yes. very excited for this storyline. And you should all be reading Greg Rucka's Punisher because it's Excellent. I love it. He hardly ever talks. My pick for next week, Secret, number one by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Ryan Bodenheim. This is the team that brought us Red Mass from Mars at Image. This book takes on espionage and intrigue. It takes a deep look into the shadow world existing between governments and private security firms. You thought Hickman's sci-fi was spooky? Wait till you see his spy stories. Every time I read the word Bodenheim, I want to say dude. Bodenheim, dude. Why? Bodie? Bodenheim? Get out of here. Bodenheim, dude. You're fired. Now it's time for Matt and I to crush a dozen Cadbury eggs into our mouths and skip merrily through the flowers while giggling with chocolate foam dripping from our lips as we scoop up ten well-hidden comics for frantic review in this week's sugar-fueled and Easter Bunny-themed Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Mudman, number three! Uh, this is Paul Grist doing his most Britishy Britishness, and I really <laughs> love it. Uh, it's, it's really picking up steam. 
The first couple issues didn't grab me, but I'm on board. I'm really liking it. I'm giving it a buy it. Unfortunately, there's a text piece in the back where he reveals he's putting Jack Staff on permanent hiatus. Oh, no kidding. That sucks. Ramiel number one from Ape Entertainment. It's a new title from Javier Grillo Marchzak. Marcho. Marcho. About angels and devils called the Megadoo locked in combat in what might be heaven. Ramiel is the main character who's been called to earth by a dying man. I think he's an angel. Uh, the art was interesting but not great. Peter Wansowski, that is, colored the hell out of this comic. I gotta give him props. Story and art are a little hard to follow, though. I'm giving it a leave it. Oh, I like Javier Grillo Marshall. Yeah. What else did you like that he did? He wrote for Lost. Oh. And he created The Middleman. There you go. Fanboys vs. Zombies, number one. Boom Studios. Uh, you know, I was excited for this one because of uh, Sam Humphreys, and he's kind of a rising dude, and I was excited to see what he'd do with a comedy. I just didn't dig it. Not one of the characters in the book is likable. It's a little too stereotypical nerd. Like, the nerds I know don't talk like the nerds in this book. Uh, I don't know. I'm giving it a pass. I say leave it. The Waking, number one from Zinescope. This is a story of a world without murder because one person has the power to bring back murder victims who then promptly exact their revenge. Until the guy that was bringing back murder victims is murdered by the main character of this comic and now his daughter is out for revenge. It's all plot, not a lot of story. Uh, It took exactly one panel to reveal itself as another Xenoscope Powderpuff comic. Really bad dialogue. Leave it. Superbia, number two, IDW. Picked up Superbia number two to see if number one was a fluke, and I'm happy to report that it wasn't. It was another great issue by Grace Randolph. I just am really, really enjoying this kind of weird TMZ-style take. Uh, I'm giving it a buy it. Voltron, year one, number one from Dynamite. This is the story of the crew of Voltron before they were driving Defender of the Universe around, and it sounds like it could have been terrible, but I loved it. The art was fantastic. Greg Cermak, who I've never heard of, nailed this one. Brandon Thomas was awesome on the story, reminding me of everything I loved about the hyper-serious anime sci-fi series of the 80s while keeping the characters very human-believable. Go out and buy this. It was great. Brilliant. Number three, Marvel Icon. Uh, this is the Bagless and Bend... <laughs> Bagless! <laughs> this is the Bendis and Bagley uh, creator-owned thing about the college kids that discover superpowers. My Mark Bagless talks like Mark Twain. <laughs> I'm Mark Bagless. Uh, it's... I don't know. I don't know. I, I thought I liked I it. I don't like it. I thought I liked it. Now I don't know if I like I it. I know I don't like it. I'll give it a skim it. I feel like they're wrapping it up already. It's issue three. Well, it's only going to be five issues. Oh. Action Comics number eight from this DC. Grant Morrison finishes his first Superman story post-relaunch and brings young Superman to the here and now. Unfortunately, I feel like I still don't know very much about this guy at all at the end of the story. And it fell a little flat for me. I didn't like the Brainiac redesign. Uh, It took four artists to finish this book, and that was really distracting. And even the explanation for the new suit wasn't very good. I can only give it a skim it. Avengers vs. X-Men Infinite. Uh, This is the digital-only tie-in to Avengers vs. X-Men, written by Mark Wade with art by Stuart Immerman. Trying to kill comic shops. (laughs) I gave it a read. Uh, It was 99 cents on the Marvel Comics app. And I have to say, it's hard to recommend it from a story standpoint. It's just kind of filler. They did give some hints at who the new Nova is, and it's a a secret. But from a technological standpoint, it was a wonderful experience to read. Um, I'm suggesting that people give it a try. It's a buck, and you get it for free if you bought AVX number one. So there you go. Hulk number 50, Marvel Comics. Thank you. Jeff Parker did a great job making me care about the Red Hulk for a while, but I think I am over it. And this is not the Hulk story that I need to make me care again. Supernatural Hulk stories really just don't do it for me. 
Even uh, Pagulian, 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 Pagulian's art was not at its best here. I can only give this to Stimmick. See, you stole this book from my five, and I was gonna give it a buy it. I didn't love it. I'm sorry, man. It's a great jumping on point. A lot of great filler material to get you caught up. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, Red She Hulk, thumbs down. Gadang! That is your ludicrous speed round, and gadang! It's the sound it makes when a cute girl in cosplay outfit hits a zombie with a folding chair as seen in the pages of this week's Fanboys and Zombies number one that Joe Patrick hated. I didn't hate it. He said he hated it. The second week of each month, we like to dive into the THN mailbag and pull out a question from one lucky listener for a segment we like to call Ask a Nerd. This week, Brian writes via email, I assume, being the manager at Legend Comics, I'm, I'm guessing this is pointed at you. Yes. That you see, I just cleaned the toilets. That you see a lot of amateur comic books, even more indie, as he's saying, like rougher as than independent comics, on your show. So, if you read those, say to patronize the writer, do you hold them to the same standards as books on the shelf? In one of your reviews, you had said that the drawing was bad. The perspective, shadows, basic mistakes artists shouldn't make. And I get that a professional artist shouldn't do that. So it's okay to shred the artist on that. I'm just wondering, do you have the same standards across the whole scheme? This is a great question. It's a really great question. Um, yes. It's kind of a tough one to answer, no, too. It, yes, I absolutely have. Oh, wait. Sorry. Back it up. No, I don't have the same standards. <laughs> I was like, whoa, asshole. No, 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 uh, sorry. So when 13-year-old kid hands you a comedy, you go, this is crap. <laughs> no. Go try out for wrestling. No, yes, I have different standards. <laughs> you have to have different standards. You do. But and, now and here's the other thing, though. I have different standards based on age as well. If a 30-year-old guy who comes up to me and tells me, you know, I went to art school and everything and did this and did that, check out my new comic book, and it's a piece of crap. <laughs> well, no, listen, there, there's a difference between an amateur artist and a professional artist, and the word amateur doesn't mean bad, it just no. means, by definition, not a not professional. Getting, or not getting paid, basically. And those guys are are in the process of honing their craft. For example, we are amateur podcasters. Yes, no, we're professional <laughs> podcasters. For example, I'm going to uh, give a shout out to the guys at Champion City Comics. They put out their first graphic novel online. And they're doing a great job. I believe, if I recall correctly, it was was called Dr. Death versus the Zombie. Yes. Tony, correct me if I'm wrong about that. But um, I gave it a look. I read a good chunk of it, and it was a lot of fun. The art is, no offense, amateur. Yeah. Because the guy is is learning. He's and that's, learning and improving. That's not a bad term. It. What I mean when I say that is that it wasn't polished. It was black and white, obviously, because color comics are hard and expensive. It just wasn't super slick like you see a lot of comics today. Because those comics being published today have a ton of money and an army of people right. behind them. Nine or ten guys this that is, can clean things up, flatten things, ink things, whatever needs to be done to make it look better. Yeah, this is a relatively small group of guys doing this on their own for the love of it. And though the art was not polished like a professional comic... I could tell that he knew his stuff. Like, the backgrounds were full. There was a lot of detail packed in. Perspective was all good. After you get past, like, the nuts and bolts of of design and art, all that's left is your personal taste. And that guy's still growing, so I'm not going to thrash a guy that is still learning. No, there Um, has to be a sliding scale, basically. There has to be a sliding scale 
where we can look and say, well, where's this guy coming from? Is he the only person working on this book? How long has this guy been working? What is he working with? What kind of budget? I mean, these this is all things that go into it. Just like when you watch an independent film, just because it doesn't have amazing CGI or something doesn't mean it can't tell a good story or even be a good movie. It just means it's working on a different level. The same thing goes with independent comics or comics from younger artists. Sure. You can see promise where there is promise. Yes, yes. You can look at stuff and you can say, you know what? This is a little rough and maybe his perspective isn't great, but it, I can see him working. And in a few years here, this guy is going to be good. Yeah. You know, or if somebody, if he gets some help from some other people behind him, this guy could be really solid. I've got a great example for you. If you go back to the 90s when Marvel used to put out those themed annuals, they would do like a four-part story. Right. And it would go from Spider-Man to Iron Man to whatever to whatever. They would always have a backup story that was also serialized from book to book. And I remember very distinctly a young Aaron Lepresti yeah. doing yeah. a lot of work in those books. And if you look back at those books, Aaron, I love you. They are awful. Yeah. Well, <laughs> look at Ethan Van Skyver's Cyberfrog. That's another perfect example of a book he did when he was much younger and didn't have an army of guys before him. And you know what? It's bad. It looks bad. But you can see that he had talent. And he ended up right. being a very talented guy completely insane but a very talented guy i mean and and the same goes for a lot of these guys that were coming up the first time i saw them maybe i didn't care a lot about their art but later on the more work they put into it somebody they they grew they learned and grew and somebody had the eye to look and say this guy's going to be somebody yes if we get him working and i think you have to look at those comics like that so the bottom line brian is yes the standards are slightly different but there's a difference between saying something is objectively bad and it needs work. Also, it has you, promise and needs work. If you guys send us free stuff, no matter what it is, we'll say it's great. We have no standards there whatsoever. We're easily bribed. <laughs> Thank you for the question, Brian. And if you have a comic-related question you need answered or a bit of comic trivia you think you can stump our resident comic savant, Joe Patrick, with, send it to us via email at twoheadednerd at gmail.com. And you could instantly become internet famous when we answer your question on the air in next month's Ask a Nerd segment. Next week, get ready for another visit from those fly, comic-slinging, funny book-dealing, gold-chain-wearing, white-black, Asian, beautiful, Betty-slaying, homeboys, the comic pushers. What? Yes. <laughs> Who will gladly help one desperate comic junkie nerd get their fix. Sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it for our secular Easter-themed two-headed nerd comic cast for this week. I love you, Jesus. If you'd like to applaud my restraint in not making any Christian zombie jokes, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, and while you're there, you can leave us a star rating or even a short written review unless you are offended by Christian zombie jokes. Huge thanks to all our donors, and if you guys want to keep us in peeps and marshmallow-filled chocolate bunnies, you can make your donation in any amount by clicking our donate button at twoheadednerd.com. While you are there you can find links to our twitter feed and our email which i just said a couple minutes ago so i'm not gonna say it again where you can submit our where you can submit your questions or comic related trivial challenges for our monthly ask a nerd segment beg for reading suggestions from the comic pushers and of course send us your entries for the thn mascot contest we want to see your picture of what you think the two-headed nerd looks like preferably clothed john if that's not enough for you, head on over to our Facebook page where you can become a fan of THN and answer the question of the week. This week's query, what new comic do you think should have been nominated for an Eisner for Best New Series? You may have noticed we didn't read that category because they didn't feel 
there should be one this year. They said there weren't enough good books. That's just ridiculous. That's mm. absolutely ridiculous. We know different. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Epic Games. Who knows there's no better way to celebrate Easter than with a good old-fashioned bunny hunt. Word to you, Epic, and Green Team will be hunting rabbits on Gears of War tomorrow night. Until next time. Triple this is the two-headed nerd. So, do you think Thor is like Marvel's Jesus? What? I'm an atheist and I think that's sacrilegious. <laughs> <laughs>